All right, 2 Kings chapter 4. This week, we're just concluding a little two-part series called Make Room. Make Room. And last week, what we did was we talked about how God wants to do new things, fresh things in our lives all the time. But what he's looking for from us is to make room or do our part to activate and access the promises that he's already made to us. And with that said, what we talked about last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2. You know, the Apostle Paul said something really interesting in Ephesians 2. He said that we are saved by grace... Through faith, God extends grace to us at salvation. It's a free gift. We couldn't earn it. We certainly don't deserve it, but he extends it to us anyway. And it's through this free gift, this gracious gift, we receive salvation. But how is it that we get it? How is it that we access it? Through faith. So we get this picture of God extending a gift, but the only way we can embrace it for ourselves is if we reach out and grab it with our faith. And this idea, this concept right here, it introduces this idea of divine partnership With God. And we talked about how, as Christians, we have to figure out how to balance the tension between God's grace and my works. Sometimes we can make it all about God's grace as if we have no responsibility. No, God extends grace, He extends salvation and so many other blessings, but the way that we access it again is how? Through faith. We reach out and we grab it. But then if we live on that side and make it all about our works, we can devalue what Jesus did for us. So it's finding this healthy balance. Here's what God has extended to me, and here's what he is requiring of me. He gives it to me, but i got to reach out and grab it for myself if I want to access all of his blessings. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? With that said, we went from Ephesians chapter 2, and we talked from Ephesians 6. And Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul gives us probably the most illustrative teaching in all of his epistles. He talks about the armor of God, And it's incredibly descriptive the way he takes these pieces of armor that someone would put on their body before they went into battle, and he shows us the spiritual equivalent of how we arm ourselves and walk through the spiritual battle that is the Christian life. And I want to talk for just a moment, just not to review, but just to quickly remind and recap what we said last week. We focused on God's peace, making room for more of God's peace. In Ephesians 6 and verse 15, there's this one peculiar part of the armor that Paul gives us. He says that we can have peace at our feet. The thing that we arm our feet with is peace. And he says that we access it by shodding or shoeing our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So when he says gospel of peace, he's saying, listen, good news. Gospel means good news or good report. There's good news. You can have peace even when you're walking through a battle. That doesn't make sense. But yet God makes it available to us. Because when we think about battle, when we think about a fight or war, man, there's nothing peaceful about that. But God says, no, you can step into the daily spiritual battle that is your Christian walk with peace at your feet. Why? Not because you're fighting for victory, but because you are fighting from a place of victory. Because Jesus has already won the battle for us. Amen? And with that said, we talked about what it means to be in preparation. And we said that preparation, there's different ways that we can prepare ourselves and have God's peace at our feet in every single step that we take. And of course, we do that, number one, through being in God's word. The psalmist said that your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. If we will light the lamp, God will show us our position, where we stand, and he'll show us our path, where we need to go. But guess what? It's up to us to light that lamp. We got to crack the book. We got to be in there. We got to find out what God's word says about our lives. And if we'll do it, he'll show us where we stand and he'll show us where to go. The other thing we talked about was how if we're diligent in prayer, we can discover and access God's peace. Scripture tells us that we can bring our needs, our requests, our petition to God. It even says in another passage that we can come boldly before the throne of grace 
We can bring these needs, these petitions, these requests, and we can lay them at the throne of God. And then the promise, if we will do our part, the promise is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can access the peace of God in our daily lives, but it's up to us to be in preparation. And when we talk about divine partnership, what we're saying here is that God has made blessing available to us, but he's looking for us to reach out in faith and access it. He makes it available, but we got to go out and get it. Amen? So with that said, we talked about peace last week, and some of you are wondering, why are there shoes on the screens behind us? That's because last week we talked about making room for God's peace, and we talked about how a new season is going to require new shoes. We talked about a new level of peace is going to require a new level of preparation and how new battles will require new boots. If you want to go back and listen to that, you can do that later on in your own time. But we talked about peace last week. Today, I want to talk talk to you about making room for God's provision and God's power. Everybody say provision. Say power. Today, we want to talk about making room for God's provision and God's power. In our lives. There's a really great story that we see in 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you know your Bible well, you've been in church a long time, this story might be very familiar to you, but it, re- it involves the prophet Elisha and an interesting scene that unfolds in only seven verses in Elisha's life, all right? So let's start reading from 2 Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 1. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. My husband feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me what to do. Excuse me. Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels. Very important words. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. Verse 4, And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour the oil into all of those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured the oil out. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And look what happens. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Finally, verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, these seven verses contain a whole lot of depth, and we're going to get into some of it. But before we go there, I want to just focus on some of the things that we see immediately on the surface that reveal the heart of God toward us, his children, and the partnership that God wants to have with us, that divine partnership that we've been talking about. Because again, what are we talking about today? We're talking about making room for more of God's provision and more of God's power in our lives. This woman who was a widow, she had just become a widow, her husband was probably, most likely, a prophet of God, or at least one of the sons of the prophets of God. And if you're kind of a deeper Bible scholar, then you might know this, but there are a lot of you know, traditional Bible scholars, especially Jewish Bible scholars, that think maybe this could have been the wife of the prophet Obadiah. We don't know. Actually, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. I think if we needed to know, God would have told us, right? But here's the thing. This woman, her husband has passed away, and not only has he left her and his sons behind, he's also left behind a great debt. 
In the days of the Old Testament, especially during the times of the king, of the king's rule over Israel, if there was a debt that was left behind, then the creditor could come to that home and to that family and take the sons who were still there and force them to go to work to pay off the debt that their father had left behind. So their mother is worried now about the future of the kids, and so she calls out to the prophet Elijah, because oftentimes this led to slave labor or torture or difficult circumstances, and sometimes uh, children would spend the rest of their lives having to pay off a debt and be enslaved to somebody else who was a creditor. So she's worried about her kids. She's worried about their future, and she cries out to Elisha. And Elisha comes and says, well, what is it that you want me to do? And then he says, what do you have in your house? And he's asking this question because he wants to know, is there anything of value in your house that could pay off the debt that you owe? And she says, all I have is a jar of oil. That's it. I don't have anything else besides my own children and the walls around me. I just have this jar of oil. And so he says, well, take the jar of oil. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to all of your neighbors and ask for vessels and bring as many vessels as you possibly can back. All your friends, all your neighbors, bring them inside, close the door and take that one jar of oil and start pouring it into the other vessels. And what we see happen here is that as she is obedient to the word of the man of God, she pours out the oil and God supernaturally provides and multiplies the oil she's pouring out until she's able to take many jars of oil, sell them, take the money, pay off the debt, and live on what she has left. Pretty cool story of God's amazing power to provide for his people. Let, let's just take a few moments and talk about some of the things that we see immediately on the surface of this story that reveal the heart of God, okay? Here's the first thought if you're taking notes today. Number one, the first thing we see is that God cares about the needs of his children, now, we should all say amen to that because all of us have some kind of need, right? And if you're here today and there's a need that you have, you might not be all that vocal about it right now. That's cool, but guess what? You need to know, it's important for you to know, good news, if you have a need, God cares about the needs of his children. God cares about the needs of his children. You know what's interesting? Divine partnership. Last week, we talked about Matthew chapter 7, and this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the beginning of Matthew 7, this is where Jesus talks to those who are listening and tells them, ask, seek, knock. If you will ask, the Father will answer. If you will seek, you will find relationship with God. If you will knock, the door will be open to you. But as soon as he finishes up right there, the very next thing that Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 9, he says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? So if you then, being evil or sinful or fallen, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, with that said, here's what I want to just kind of put before you as we explore the things that are on the surface of this story, all right? This woman is concerned about her children. And she has needs. She's worried about their future. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But she has a great need because pretty soon she feels like her sons are going to be taken from her and she'll have nothing left. Now think about the needs that we sometimes have in life. And what's so cool about what Jesus has to say about our needs and God's desire to meet our needs and give us good gifts, what's so cool about that from Matthew 7 is I am reminded that every single time I think about my kids and I want to give my kids a good gift to provide for them, to take care of them, maybe even to spoil them sometimes. Can I tell you something? The reason that we feel that way sometimes as parents is because God feels that way about us. That is a reflection of the father heart of God. And what's so cool is all throughout scripture, God is not just revealed to us as distant creator God. He's revealed to us as intimate father who cares about our needs. 
And when Jesus says this, it's a great reminder that every single time I have a need that I'm worried about, that I'm frustrated about, that is concerning to me, or maybe even bringing worry and fear and anxiety into my life, if I'm worried about it, then guess what? God cares about it. And it's important for every single person to know that today. But let's just take it a step further here, okay? Because this woman's greatest concern isn't for herself, it's for her children. Her bigger concern is for the well-being and the future of her kids. And you know what's funny is Ashley and I this week were having a conversation, and Ashley's my, my wife. Um, <laughs> we're having a conversation, and I was here at the office, and we were texting about something, and I picked up a phone, and I call her, and we were talking about some stuff with our kids and going back to school this fall, and some things that we have to take care of and things that we need to do over the next couple of, well, next few weeks, really, to get them ready to go back to school. There's just all this stuff that kept rising up, and I think a lot of you parents who are paying attention, you know, man, we think about things that are happening in our schools, what our kids are being taught. We think about things that are happening in our state and in our nation. And sometimes as a parent, it can freak you out a little bit. Anybody else want to say, yep? And so we're sitting there thinking about this. And and here's the thing. The longer I dwell on that and the louder I allow that voice to be, the more it dominates my thoughts. And I'll never, I mean, I'll never be able to explain to you, I mean, parents, you guys understand this, but when you start to think about your future of your kids and the well-being, you're like, God, I need you to get involved here. I need you to do something. I'm so worried about this, and I'm so worried about that, and da 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 And you can let that thing just drive you crazy, and it becomes the dominant voice of fear in your life. And so we were talking about this a little bit that day, and I think my day just got clouded by that worry and that fear of like, how's this going to go, Lord? Came home later on, and when I walked in the front door, usually when I walk in the front door of my house, the dog comes running around the corner, and he's barking, and then my kids come running, and they're yelling, and it's loud in our house, like, all the time. My baby girl's screaming, because that's what she does. And I walk in, and the dog doesn't come, and the kids don't run, and there's no noise, and there's no barking, and there's no chaos. (laughs) It's kind of ordered, and I walk in the house, and I'm like, where is everybody? And I, I look out through the back window, and I see that my wife is outside on the back patio, and the kids are in the backyard playing. And when I get out there, I open the back slider, and my, my wife has worship music just playing really loud in the backyard. And I walked over, and I sat down, and she had this real, like, solemn look on her face, and I said, are you okay? And these big tears just came down her face, and she said, you know, I've thought all day long about this school stuff, about our kids, about their future, their well-being, all these things. She's like, and the more I thought about it, the more it just, like, got to me. It overwhelmed me. It overtook me. She said, and I just had to clear my head of it. She said, so I've just been out here. She goes, I've been praying. I just kind of threw some worship music on. She said, and you know what happened? She goes, I'm sitting there praying about it. She goes, and in the midst of like what I'm feeling, she goes, I felt like the gentle whisper of God where he just said, I know that you're worried and I see what's going on. But guess what? Before they were your kids, they were mine. And if you think that you care, if you think that you care about your kids, then you have no idea just how much I care about them too. Jesus is saying here, if you want to give good gifts to your kids, guess what? You're fallen, sinful, and evil. But our perfect Father in heaven, he has perfect gifts for his children. He wants to take care of his kids. He wants to give them not just the things that they need, but the reason that you want to give your kids more is because God wants to do the same thing for you. God cares about us. He loves us, and he sees the needs of his children. So today, just know if there's a need in your life and you feel like, God, I need you to get involved, guess what? It's his good pleasure to get involved in your life. But you've got to do the asking, the seeking, and the knocking and invite him in. Make some room, make some space for him to come in and get involved in the need that you have. Amen? Now, let me give you one more thought about that and, and with, before we move forward, because we're talking about needs and talking about kids. Now, I think this is so important that we grab this, and we're not going to stay here too long, but it's important to say this. 
I think the story illustrates to us, number two, that God cares about the plight of the next generation. And that word plight means to be in a place where you're, not, you're facing a situation where you're not ready to move forward yet. God cares about the plight of the next generation. And I know that for a lot of us, again, as parents, man, it's easy for us to look at the crazy world that we live in and say, what in the world are we handing to our kids? Well, guess what? God cares about them. He cares about their future. He cares about their plight. He cares about the calling that he has already placed upon their life. And I love this verse of scripture that we see all the way back in the, in the first few books of the Bible in Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament Pentateuch, it says this, in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Therefore, know, everybody say no. Know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his Commandments, And here's the point that I want to make because I know that here at the bridge, man, we have so many families that you talk about where your kids are at, whether they're young or whether they're old. we got families in the house right now that you're trying to raise your kids in the ways of God. And we've got other families in the house that you're praying that your kids will come home because you showed them right from wrong. You showed them what God's word has to say about their lives. And you're praying for them to come home. Can I tell you something? Our God is a faithful God who keeps his promises to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And if you have done your best to raise your kids in the ways of God, you've done your part. Now watch God go to work and do his part because God is faithful. And again, what does Deuteronomy say to us here? It's a divine partnership. We do our part. God does his, and the plan of God is accomplished in and through our lives. God cares about the next generation, amen? And then number three, God is able to provide supernaturally for his children, one of the major themes, really the, the biggest theme that we see in this story is that God is able to provide supernaturally for his children. Do things that we can't on our own. God is able to do miraculous things in our lives when we have impossible needs and impossible situations. Now, I love what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. And if you're like me, you've been a Christian a long time, you've been in church a long time, you're going to know this verse of Scripture. So watch this. This is what Philippians 4 says in verse 19. Many of you know it automatically. And my God shall supply all your need. Push pause. How many people are grateful that God will supply all of your needs? That's a great promise, and we should always confess that over our lives, and we should always hold on to it. But we should put just as much emphasis on the second half of the verse, because this is what it says. Not only will God supply all of our needs, but he will do it according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. And here's the point that I want to make to you today. Man, we, especially as Americans in the 21st century, we love the idea of being self-sufficient. We don't want to have to trust God. Even if we're Christians, we're like, man, I want to have so much money in the bank that I don't need God's help, and I'll just say, God's been good to me, right? We love being self-sufficient. We don't like running into needs. We don't like running into lack. We don't like running into insufficiency because that makes us feel bad about ourselves. If we got it all figured out, if we got all the answers, if we got retirement settled, if we got the money in the bank, that's when things are good, right? And I like the idea of being self-sufficient. But has anybody else recognized that sometimes God allows you to walk through seasons where you will feel insufficient so that you can discover his all-sufficiency? Sometimes God just chooses to do it that way. I don't like that. I don't like it when I reach the end of my resource. I don't like it when I reach the end of my strength and my ability or my talent or my gift only to have to lean on God. It's uncomfortable to lean on anyone else besides me, right? But sometimes God allows us to walk through seasons of insufficiency so that we can discover his all-sufficiency. 
And what's so cool about it, it can be humbling in the moment, but what we discover is the second half of that verse. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. Because here's the deal. When I reach the end of my supply, I discover just how not so glorious I am. I discover just how not so rich I am. But when I've reached the end of me, that's when I start to, to discover the beginning of God's riches and God's glory. And guess what? His riches and his glory are so much greater than mine. Our God is able to meet our needs supernaturally. He's able to do miraculous things because that's who he is. He's our all-powerful, almighty, all-sufficient God. Amen? Amen? Can I just say this too real quick? Because I think it's important to say this. You know, all the time in church, especially in churches like ours, you know, more charismatic type churches, we, we talk about God's miraculous power, his supernatural power, and I believe that God still does miracles and still does supernatural things in our lives, okay? But I'm going to be honest with you today. I don't want to live my life needing a miracle all the time in every area of my life. I had a lady come up to me a few weeks ago when we were talking about this, and she said, you know, when we talk about miracles, she goes, I believe that God does miracles. And I said, yeah, me too. And she said, but don't you think sometimes the reason we need God to do a miracle is because we've messed up with something he gave us? And I thought, yep. It's true, isn't it? But guess what? God is gracious. God is gracious, and he's kind, and his heart is toward us. And even if we've made mistakes, he still extends grace. But listen, when he gives us something and entrusts us with something, he's asking us to be good stewards so that we don't need a miracle in every area of our life all the time. And can I be honest with you also? You're going to be a whole lot less stressed out if we can take care of what we have rather than always having to rely on God for a miracle when we've messed up the thing that we had in our hands. Hey, let's be good stewards of what God's given us. Amen? But when we face impossibilities, when we face difficulties and challenges... God's there, and he's willing and able to do supernatural, miraculous things in our lives. Now, most importantly, I think the thing that I take from this story, I mean, this is a story about God's supernatural provision, but most importantly, the thing that I take from this story here, and I love this so much, and I want to just throw this at you for a couple of minutes so that you can take this home. I believe that this story shows us that God can do much with the little that we give him. Let me say it this way. God can do a lot with the little that we give him. In this story, the prophet Elisha comes to this woman's house and says, okay, how are we going to be able to sell something, find some money, find some value to pay off this debt, and then help you live? And she says, what do you got in the house? He says, what do you have in the house? And she says, all I have is this jar of oil. That's all I've got. That's the only thing of any value. And there's so many uses for oil in that day especially, and with olive oil, I heard a pastor one day give a list of like 25 different uses for olive oil, which gave it so much more value in Bible times, and especially because it was harder to get the oil pressed, physical labor. And what's so cool about this is this woman says, look, all I've got is a little bit of oil. I imagine right there in that moment, she says, I don't have any money. I don't have much of anything else of value. She certainly doesn't identify anything else of value in her life. And she considers the idea that her sons might be taken away from her in just a moment. Think about that for a minute. I'm about to lose everything that means anything to me. And the prophet says, but what else do you have? And she says, well, I've got a little bit of oil. And he says, okay, go get some vessels because we're going to take the oil you do have and we're going to pour it into other vessels. And I imagine her right then and there. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All I have is a little bit of olive oil, and you want me to take the all that I have, this little, little bit right here, and you want me to pour it 
into other vessels. You want me to pour out what I do have, trusting that something more is going to come of this. And she doesn't yet know what God's going to do. She doesn't yet know how God's going to multiply what she pours out. But in that moment, she has to choose obedience and faith over fear. And I imagine that in that moment, she looks at the little she has and says, how can this little go so far as to pay off that debt and then give me something to live on? Because I still got to live after we pay it off. How is that going to work? All I have is this much, but guess what? God is the one who can take the little that we have and do a whole lot more with it. I think sometimes we sell God short with what he is able to do with the little that we give him. Because this woman looked at the oil and said, well, I can't do much with the oil. I only, you know, kind of assume a certain amount of value or associate a certain amount of value with it. What good could this do? And the prophet says, see that little bit you got? Are you willing to give it away and make room for the bigger thing that God wants to do? I want to ask you a question today. Are you facing a big need? Sometimes we can look at the big need and then we go looking for the big value. What can I do that's a value that will fill the void that this big debt, this big need has created? And when we can't find something of great value to fill that void and to meet that need, we start saying, I, I can't do it. God, there's nothing I can do. There's just no way out of this situation. And I think sometimes God looks back at us and says, yeah, but what do you have? Oh, but God, it's just a little bit. It's not enough. No, 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 no. What do you have? Because if you're willing to give me your little, I can do a whole lot to solve the problem. And sometimes I don't think that we give God enough credit for what he can do with just a little bit that we're willing to give him. I'll tell you a personal story about this. I remember after my wife and I got married, you know, I've told you the story a little bit before, some of it, but we lived in Orange County. We both were working. We were newlyweds. We were just scraping by, hardly making ends meet, hardly paying the rent. And when we came into it, when we got married, we kind of, you know, came into our marriage. We looked at our money. We looked at our budget. We looked at our expenses. We saw what we made, and we're like, okay, we're going to be all right. But how many of you know? You usually spend more money than you think you're going to spend. Yeah, you're not laughing, but you know it's true. <laughs> and so we looked at our big, you know, kind of the big ticket items, and I realized we both have car payments, and this doesn't make sense. So I had more equity in my car, so I said, you know what? I didn't want to do this because I loved my car. I was very much happy with it. I was not into the idea of doing this. It was something that we had to do. I sold my car. I paid off the loan that we had on the car. We had a little bit of extra money left to pay off a couple of things and, you know, kind of sow into the kingdom a little bit with what we had left. And then after we did that, I went and bought a bike. And in first service, Pastor Corey was sitting in the front row and he said, like, bike or like, bike? And I said, bicycle. And I had to ride my bike to work every day. And I didn't like that. I didn't want to do that. Can I be honest with you? That messed with my pride a lot. That humbled me big time. I did not want to do that. But I look back now, and if I'm honest with you, I thank God that I only lived two miles from where I worked. How many of you would like to live two miles from where you work? But what's crazy about it is, and just to be very honest with you here, sold my car, bought a bike, bicycle, <laughs> riding it to work, and on Sunday night, I would be at church preaching to my church like this. And when people sit and listen to you preach and you're the guy up there sharing from God's word, man, they just think you got it all figured out. You got the answers. You got life sorted. And all the people that thought that would be driving down Harbor Boulevard on Monday morning and they would pass me by as I'm riding my bike to work like, hey, Zach, honk, honk. There's Zach. There he is on his bike riding to work. Like that happened to me a good amount. And what's crazy about it is I look back and for a season, that was hard on me. That was difficult. That messed with my pride. That humbled me. About a year went by. I rode my bike to work for a whole year. I rode my bike to work in the rain sometimes. 
You get to work and you're all wet, and there's days where you get off your bike and you just want to cry and say, God, why? Like, just help me out here. Never forget, a good friend of ours had just gotten very, very sick. He became kind of just suddenly very ill, even lost the ability to communicate with people, with really his own wife. And the very little communication he had, he would just say a few short things. And one day, he and his wife were sitting in his hospital room, and he said to his wife, honey, we need to give Zach our car. And just like that, I had a car to drive to work. Now listen, I don't want to be the guy on the receiving end of that equation. I would prefer to be the guy who gets to give the car away, right? But sometimes God allows you to walk through seasons of insufficiency so you can discover his all-sufficiency. And I look back, and my pride could have so easily stood in the way of me making the decision to just give God what I had and wait for him to meet the need. And I think sometimes our pride gets in the way of us giving God the little bit we have because we don't think that's going to be enough. It's not going to be good enough. And God says, no, 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 no. Just give me the little bit you got and see if I can't do something great with it. Listen, don't be afraid to release the little you have in your hand and see God do something really, really big with it to meet the need that you have in front of you. Amen? In closing this morning, all of those things we've just talked about are the things that are on the surface of this story. We've talked about make room last week and, this, and today. We're talking about making room for more of God's peace. We're talking about making room for more of God's provision. Making space. God, I give you the little I have, believing you're going to do something greater with it. But there's this one other theme that's lying underneath this passage of Scripture. And many of you know it, and some of you don't see it yet. If you look all throughout Scripture, we see these themes that unfold that help us to understand the heart of God and the plan of God in the earth. And all throughout Scripture, oil was something of great value. But as a Christian, looking at the Old Testament through a New Testament lens, we understand that oil in the Old Testament was a representation of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. When kings were anointed to be kings over God's people, what, were they, what did they do to them? They anointed them with oil. It was a sign of the presence of God, the power of God coming upon them to become God's man over the people for kings in the Old Testament. And here in this passage, when the man of God comes to this woman who's facing this great need, he says, what do you have? And she says, well, all I have is this oil. That, that's all I got. It's just a little bit of oil. I reading through this passage over the last few days, and it's amazing how she minimized the value of the thing that she had because she didn't think highly of it. As I was reading that, it kind of occurred to me that for many of us as Christians, we've taken the Holy Spirit and we've kind of put him in a little box over here and said, well, I have the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I don't want to let him out of the box. He might do something weird. He might do something uncomfortable. So I, I, he's there because I'm a Christian, right? But we keep him over here so that he doesn't get out and do anything wild or crazy or uncomfortable. And I think sometimes when we do that, we devalue the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, all the Christians say amen this morning. I don't like weird either, y'all. But I'm going to be honest with you. In this story, the prophet of God says, if you will supply the vessels, God will provide the oil. And crazy enough, when you read through these seven verses, the word vessel shows up seven times and the word oil shows up three times. 
Does that mean that the vessel is more valuable than the oil? Oh, no, because it's the oil that adds value to the vessel and not the other way around. And so when Elisha says, take that oil and get as many vessels as you can possibly get, she doesn't yet know that God's about to multiply that oil. But essentially what the story is telling us is that there is a never-ending supply of oil. The question is, are there going to be enough vessels? And what's funny about it, too, is that at the end of the passage, what we see in verse 7 is that as soon as they ran out of vessels, the Bible says, she turns and says, give me another vessel. And they said, there are, more, are no more vessels. And it says, then the oil ceased. Today, in America, all over the world, even within Christianity, there are a lot of people think that God stopped pouring out the oil a long time ago. But I want to submit to you today that maybe God's never run out of oil, we just stopped giving him vessels. <laughs> I get so emotional with you guys. What's funny is the, the prophet says to the woman, he says, bring me as many vessels as you can, but he doesn't just say vessels, he says, bring me empty vessels. I wonder if there are times where God looks at what's happening in the world. I mean, listen, we, we're Christians who look at the things that are happening in our world and we're like, God, this is crazy. Don't you see what's going on? God, are you going to get involved? God, are you going to do something? And God's like, I've already done something. Well, yeah, but it seems like you stopped pouring out your oil a long time ago. And God's like, no, no, I've never run out of oil. There's just a lot of people that haven't made themselves available as vessels that I can pour my spirit into. And I just wonder today, how many people still want to be a vessel of God that he can pour his oil into so that we can do the things he's called us to do in life? We say all the time that the Holy Spirit wants to do three things. He wants to work in us, for us, and through us. And if we will empty ourselves, God will pour his oil into us, his vessels. But it's up to us to empty ourselves and say, God, pour your Holy Spirit into my life. Pour your oil into my life. See, because I think sometimes God looks at my life, and maybe sometimes he looks at your life, and he says, man, I got a never-ending supply of oil that I want to pour out, but your life is so filled with all this stuff. Your life is so filled up with all these things that are important to you, but they're here today, gone tomorrow, and eternally speaking, they're of zero value. When I got this jar of oil that will never run dry. And let me just say this also. Your life, my life, Christian friends, our life is not about us. It's not just about us. God wants to do things in us, yes, and he wants to do things for us, yes, but God has also called us to submit ourselves to him so that he can do amazing things through us. The question is not about the oil. The question is, are there enough vessels? See, it's not the vessel that adds value to the oil. It's the oil that adds value to the vessel. And if I can get that revelation, if I can understand that clearly, then I'll understand that my life exists to pour out that oil into the world around me. Jesus said, after he died and descended, he told the, people, the disciples and those who ended up in the upper room, do not leave Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes, and then you will be endued with power to what? To be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit wants to come into our lives and bond our lives so that we can be his witnesses, not just live and have my little Christian party for me over here so that I can be the person that God has called me to be. The oil never runs out. I think God's asking the question, so where are all my vessels? I've asked our worship team to come back out. 
because we're gonna sing that song, the last song that we sang one more time this morning. And I wanna pray for every single person that's here, but I just wanna do something and listen, this might make somebody uncomfortable, but to be quite honest, I just don't care. I'm tired of just go to church on Sunday Christianity. I wanna know the power of God in my life. I want to see the power of God go to work in my family and go to work in our businesses and go to work in our communities. And guess what? You will be endued with power to be my witnesses. Why? So that others in our world can know Christ. So where are all the vessels? Where are all the empty vessels? Where are all the vessels that are willing to say, God, cleanse me so that this vessel can be used by you to pour your oil into my life? I don't want to do anything weird. I don't like weird. Man, if you want to be used by God and you just want to be an empty vessel that God can fill with his oil, I'm just going to challenge you right now. If you would just stand to your feet and let's as a church just come together and ask God to fill our lives with his oil today. Just stretch your hands out in front of you. We're on time today, don't worry. Just put yourself in posture to receive, just as if you're doing it in faith to receive from God. Father, today we make ourselves available. We empty ourselves. We make room for more of you in our life. God, pour your oil into this vessel, into these vessels. Father, we first of all stop and we repent. God, if there are things in our life that are hindering our relationship, that are clogging this flow between you and us, God, we turn, Father, and we look to you and say, God, we, 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 we want to walk in your ways, not in our own. We want you to cleanse us to make us new, to make us fresh, God, so that we can be used by you, so that we can be endued with power to be your witnesses to the world in which we live. You've called us to more, Lord, than just to live our lives for ourselves and have our own little private Christian party. You've called us to be your witnesses. In this moment right now, we empty ourselves and we say, fill us, God, fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us. Fill us, Father, so that we can be your witnesses and dude with the power to go to the places you're calling us to go. This is us saying we are available and we choose to be your vessels. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, church.
Again, this is us emptying ourselves, asking for you to come and fill us anew and afresh, that we might be the vessels that you use to pour out your spirit in the earth. God, each one of us are going different places, different homes, different locations all throughout this week, where only we can do the thing that you've called us to do. So right now, we ask that you would work in us, that you would work for us, and that you would work through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We make ourselves available to be your vessels in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, I'm going to tell you we've got two minutes left, okay? Everybody hang tight, please. Just out of consideration for those in this place right now that might need to make an important decision. Maybe you're here today, and if I were to ask you where you stand when it comes to a relationship with God and just take an inventory of your heart, that's to see what's there and what's not. If I asked you, do you have a relationship with God, and you said, no, I don't, I want to tell you something, that all you have to do is say yes to Jesus and what he's done for you. He can walk into a beautiful relationship with God this thing that we call salvation. Scripture tells us that God, who loved us so very much, right in the middle of our sin, sent Jesus, the one and only sinless, spotless, perfect Son of God, to come to this earth and die a death that we deserve for our sin. And all we have to do is put our faith in that sacrifice that He made, and we could experience forgiveness in this thing called salvation. I don't know if you've ever made that decision in your life before, but I can tell you there's no greater decision you can make in your life than to put your faith in Jesus and experience salvation. The cool thing is, is that after Jesus died, God didn't stop there. He did something even greater. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave for you and for me so that we would not have to face it in eternity. Today, I want to tell you, not only can you experience salvation and experience forgiveness, but you can leave this place having peace in your heart that eternity is settled with God. There's nothing special about my words. It's not about saying a magic prayer. It's about saying words of commitment in your heart, from your heart to God, and then just choosing to follow him throughout the course of your life. I want to invite you to pray this prayer right now. We're going to pray it out loud together. We're not going to embarrass anybody or put you on the spot. But if you want to make a decision to commit your life to Christ, would you pray this prayer and mean it with everything inside of you? Say these words. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you were raised from the dead and that you conquered death so that I could have life. So today I choose you. I put my hope in you, my faith in you, my trust in you, and I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, can we just welcome some people into God's family today? All right, now listen, hang tight. We've got one minute here, okay? This is really important for people that made decisions, so please, let's honor those people right now, okay? I'm not creating any distractions. Listen, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we just want to help you start your walk with God. We want to give you a free gift. It's a simple tool called The Next Seven Days. It's a simple book to help you get started in that journey. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we'll have prayer teams right along these side walls at the, the walls of the floor here. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give you the book. We don't need anything from you, but we are here to help in any way that we can. 
If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Let them know you made that decision. They'll give you the book and get you started in your journey of faith because we are so, so glad that you made that decision. One more time, let's just welcome people to God's family today. Hey, church, we love you. God bless you. Let's be used by God. Let's be the vessels he's called us to be. Amen. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We will see you in God's house next weekend.